How are you doing? Oh, oh you got to be better than that this morning. This is really some place in Scripture. Oh, my. Oh, my. You haven't been reading ahead, have you? Oh, come on. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Wait till you lay your eyes on this place in Scripture. You see what, what Paul is doing? This is, this is incredible. Incredible. Can't wait to meet him. Can you? Can't wait. Can't wait to meet him. He's just set the stage. He has told us who our God is in our lives. You see, it's really important for us to know who we are in Christ. That's, that's, that's critical, of course. But once you understand that, once that becomes a part of you, then to understand who He is in our lives, it just, your whole faith should take a whole nother step in a direction that, 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 that frees you up to be all that God has called you to be. Our Lord has told us, Paul told us in, in Ephesians, the first chapter, Way before, long before, we have been chosen in Him, before the very earth has been founded. He, he has chosen us to be holy and blameless before Him in Christ. That's in our past. God the Father has secured us in our past. And God the Son, we are told in Ephesians chapter 1, He has right now in the present day, has redeemed us. He has He has paid the price for our sins. Totally freed us from our sins. Sins that we did in the past. Sins that we might be doing now. Sins that we might do in the future. We have been freed from that. Amen. That's a hallelujah, folks. Then God the Holy Spirit comes upon the scene. And He has given us, He has made a pledge. He has made a pledge and He has sealed us. Sealed us to deliver us to the Lord God Himself in the future. And so Paul is saying, these are the things that you and I have. This is the security of of who we are because of Christ. We have been been just set free. And and really, folks, to understand and to know what the Bible says about about what we have, there is so much that, that God has given us, and we are so free as believers in Jesus Christ. And so Paul has taken the stance of this is who God is in our lives. And now here in chapter chapter 4, he takes the, the natural progression. And that is now, since, since that is who God is in our lives, this is what we ought to be as believers in Jesus Christ. This is how we... He says it here in chapter 4. This is how we are to walk this walk called Christianity, our faith. He is going to teach us how to walk with Jesus Christ. How to represent our Lord each and every day that we draw breath. What more, what a great privileges that we have that this, that this day, whether we be in our church, whether we be in our homes, whether we be at play, no matter where we are, that we have the privilege today to represent Jesus Christ in our walk with Him. What a privilege. It is, it is the, most, the greatest privilege that God could ever give us. And I think far too many of us as believers are kind of going ar- along this life in a very kind of lackadaisical, haphazard way, uh, it's like it's almost this is a dress rehearsal. It's not, folks. This is it. This is, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that you and I ought to rejoice and be glad in it because no one's going to promise you or me tomorrow. 
Can't do it. And so this is the day we're to live. This is the day that we're to glorify our Lord and live for Him. And so Paul is saying, this is how I want you to walk. I want you to walk with Him in in such a fashion that it, it makes a difference in this world in which we live. A tall order? You better believe it. An awesome task? You bet. As a matter of fact, we cannot do it in and through our own power. It's not possible. We need the strength, we need the power of God, which takes us back to Paul's prayer for us. You see, Paul understood this, and so he went back. If you remember in chapter 3, remember verses 14 to 21, he prayed for us. And what did he pray? Look at verse 16 in chapter 3. He prayed that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in our innermost being, that we would stand firm within who we are in within us, to stand firm because of Christ who strengthens us from within. And then look at verse 19 of chapter 3, that you and I might be filled up with all the fullness of God. You see, to walk as God has going to demand you and me to walk, we're going to need all of His strength and all of His power. Because it's going to take courage. The fact of the matter is, it's going to take courage. Because this world in which we live is going to try to discourage us. It'll be diametrically opposed to God's ways. They're not going to want you and me to succeed in this walk we have with Christ. It's going to be a battle. I want to prove it to you. Before we get into Ephesians, I want to show you something that we had studied before in John. Would you hold your place here? Turn back to John chapter 9 for a moment with me. It's one of the most amazing places in Scripture. Um, In John chapter 9, as the story begins, Jesus Christ and the disciples are walking down this road, and they come across this man who was born blind. Remember the story at all? The disciples look at Jesus Christ... And they say to him, what happened here? Who messed up? Who sinned? Rabbi, teacher, who who sinned? This man or his parents? That he would be born blind. What did Jesus Christ say? Oh, you guys, neither. Neither. Neither was that he sinned, nor, nor his parents But he was born this way in order that the glory of God might be shown through him. Let's stop there for a moment. Because as you know in the story, this guy gets healed. He gets to see again. Never ever seeing a sense of light ever in his life, he now gets to see. But what would happen if he didn't get to see? Would he still be glorified? Would his life still be a a glorification of his Lord? If you and I never got the things that we want, would we still bless our Lord? Would we still want to glorify him in and through all that we are and everything about us? You see, sometimes we, we want the goodies in life so that we can glorify our Lord. Where Paul says, look, I'm a prisoner of Christ prisoner of christ so great story great great story so he says no it's not neither look at verse two who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born like this jesus says no no neither not that this man sinned nor his parents 
It was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so what does he do? I love this story. He spits on the ground, Jesus does, and makes some clay out of the dirt. And he rubs it on his eyes. And he says to him, go to the pool of Shalom and wash and you'll be able to see again. And so he does. He comes back and he can see. Well, in verse 8, when his neighbors saw him, those who previously saw him as a beggar, they're saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? I mean, what happened here? This this guy was blind. Is, Is this him? And others were saying in verse 9, this is him? Still others were saying, no, no, it's like him. He kept saying, no, it's me, it's me. I'm the guy, I'm, I'm him, I'm okay now, look. I can see you, ugly as you are. I can see you. I always thought you were good looking just by your voice, but ooh, look. No, I shouldn't have done that. See, I reverted right back to the locker I do it, Jimmy, I revert right back to the locker room. Please forgive me for that. Please forgive me for that. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Then they said to him in verse 10, How is it that your eyes are open? And he said clearly to them, This man who is called Jesus, he made some clay. He anointed my eyes and he said to me, Go, go to Shalom and wash. And I went away and I washed and I received my sight. And they said, Well, where is this one? He said, I don't know. And so they brought him to the Pharisees in verse 13, the one who was formerly blinded. Now here's the deal, it was the Sabbath. I love it. It was on the Sabbath, and we, we mentioned over and over again in the book of John, it seemed like Jesus Christ always seemed to heal someone on the Sabbath. I think purely in, to just tick those guys off, you know, those religious leaders, just to get them upset. And so it's the Sabbath. It says in, in, in verse 14, and the Pharisees said in verse 15, How did you receive your sight? He said, well, he applied clay to my eyes, washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees were saying, this man's not from God because he didn't keep the Sabbath. I mean, come on, folks. Come on. How much and how often will you deny, will people deny Jesus Christ for who he is because he doesn't fit into their little uh, box? It's the Sabbath. He can't be from God. Others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such a sign? And there was a division. I mention all of this for this one reason. In your life and my life, we're going to have to make decisions of how we're going to walk. Before you get into the the area of whatever might be the difficulties, you've got to choose. And was it Joshua that said... He says, look, it, if it's disagreeable in your sight, he says, you, you need to choose for yourself who, whom you're going to serve. Remember? But then he said, but for what? Me? My house? What, what? We decided. I, I've made a conscious decision that I am going to serve the Lord. A very sad scenario takes place in this story in my opinion and it's this young man or older man I don't know his age who was born blind 
how his parents reacted. I can't even imagine as a parent how I would rejoice if this all of a sudden was my son who all of a sudden now could see. The Pharisees brought their parents in to them and and they questioned them, it says in verse 19, and they said, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he see? His parents answered and they said to him, We know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. Verse 21. But how he now sees, we don't know. Who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. I I can't imagine these people. I can't imagine his parents doing that to him. I can't imagine that they throw the ball directly into his court. You see, there was a great problem The religious leaders of that day said to anyone who professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, anyone who named the name of Jesus Christ would be cast out of the synagogue. That was a major deal, folks. Because all of a sudden, they were neither Jew nor Gentile. They were in no man's land. And so his parents decided that they would say, we don't know who did this. Yes, he's our son. Sure. He was born blind. Ask him. We don't know. They knew. Verse 22. Key. Key, key, key. Look. It says, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already agreed if anyone should confess Jesus Christ to be the Messiah, he should be put out of the synagogue. For this reason... His parents said, he's of age, ask him. Want to read some more sad words? Look at chapter 12 of John. Perhaps the saddest words that have ever been uttered were uttered in John chapter 12. We'll see pressure again and we'll see what pressure can do to us. It says... um, In verse 27, or excuse me, 37 of John chapter 12. But though Jesus had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. I mean, what does he have to do in our lives? What does he have to do for people to finally get it? What does he have to do in your life and my life before we finally see he is everything to us? He is our Lord. He is our Savior. How far will we take Him down the road until it gets too far, too dicey that we let Him go so that we can walk the rest of the way on our own, so to speak? I don't know if that made any sense to you, but but is He with you for the long haul? Have you ever made a decision in your life, if it's just you and Him, the rest of your life, it's enough? Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, verse 42 of John chapter 12. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now, saddest words you'll ever read. Verse 43. 
Because they loved the approval of men rather than what? Rather than what? The approval or the praise of God. Have you ever gotten to that place yet? Have you gotten to that place where you want to be liked by the masses rather than by your Savior? Have you made up a decision yet? Whom will you serve regardless of the circumstances? Have you really thought it through? But for me in my house, will we serve the Lord? Will we just serve Him when it's good? Or will we serve Him regardless? Why were you born as you were born? Would it not be so that the very works of God might be displayed in and through your life? Whether you get to see or not. You see, Paul is going to get us down to that place in Scripture. We've come to a place where we're asked to walk as Jesus Christ walks. We're asked to represent our Lord in this life in which we live. Do you want the approval of mankind more than you do the approval of God? It's a decision only you can make. Nobody can make it for you. Paul wants you and me to realize, if you would, turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul wants you and me to realize that coming to Christ means that you are a part of his family. And being a part of his family, God desires for you and me to walk with him in a manner worthy of our calling. Listen, that's not so far-fetched, is it? I mean, come on. Any of us who are parents, there comes a time in your life where your children grow up and they're kind of not under your, your uh, every care. You, they've got to go out on their own. I'll never forget, as long as I live, when my son was learning to drive, right? And, and you sit in the car with him and he's driving you and you're on the freeway and he's in complete control of the car. I mean, it's like, gosh, you talk about faith. That's one time. The next is when you finally maybe give him the car and he goes out on his own. I'll never forget it. Sitting on my porch. Watched him back out of the garage. Have a good day, son. Watched him go down the road. And then I started to weep. Oh God, please take care of him. Oh God, please watch over him. And then I listened at that corner. Did he stop or did he not? Is there a crash? No. Sounds like he made it. And when he left, I remember telling him, Son, when you walk out of these doors, you are a warehouse. Don't please forget that. When I go where I go, I'll represent you. When you go where you go, you re represent our family. You represent the name warehouse, and you walk with Christ. And you love Him. 
But, you know, it's not so far-fetched, folks. Jimmy will tell you, at least I, it happened to me when I made the ball club. When, when I made the Dodger ball club, that was a thrill of my lifetime. And I remember some of the veterans came to me and it says, one thing that you make the team, now you got to play ball and represent us as a Dodger. I don't know if you ever heard that. I know your father wrote a book about it, playing baseball the Dodger way. I mean, if, if the Dodgers expected me to play baseball like a Dodger, is it not far-fetched for our Lord God for when we become a child of His to walk like a child of His? Well, Paul is going to give us a guideline of how we are to walk this walk. And as Paul prayed for us, without the strength of God, you and I cannot walk this walk. Read with me, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. I've already noted, we will not get through all of this. But please be patient with me. There's some things in Scripture, in fact, there's everything in Scripture, that we just cannot rush through. It would be a disservice to you, it would be a disservice to our Lord, to rush through these words and not see what is said for our lives as believers. So Paul says again, if you recall, he said in chapter 3 that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He reiterates that statement again here in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, there is but one body, there is one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How can anyone say that there are many and myriad ways to God when God Himself says there is but one? There is but one faith. There is but one baptism. There is but one God. Father in heaven, we come to a place in Scripture that is monumental in each of our lives. Do we understand, Father, please, do we understand the seriousness that Paul writes these words that you gave him to tell us of how we are to walk this walk as believers in a manner that is worthy of the calling in which you have called each and every single one of us who have trusted and believed in you. Oh, Father God, open up our eyes and our hearts that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Give us the privilege, dear Father, of hearing from your heart. Move me aside, I beg of you, Father. Please, move me aside. Let us see these words that we have read, and let us, if it be your will, hear the very still and quiet voice of yourself in our own heart of hearts to tell us what you expect of us. Like a loving parent would tell their children, so, Father, you are telling us, this is how I want you to represent me here on this earth. This is how I want you to walk. 
Oh, Father, may we catch a, a portion of your precious, precious goodness. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Look, when a person comes to walk with Jesus Christ, you know this. We've studied it closely enough. You then become a citizen of this eternal kingdom. We become then and there family members of God. Along with this overwhelming blessing of being a family member comes an obligation, just like it does in your home, just like it does in my home with our children. Just as my father said to me. We are to become and we are to act like a new person once we come to Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, that person has become what? A new creature, right? Behold, old things have passed away and what? New, new things have come. We've become new creatures. Creatures who walk like our our Father who is in heaven. And our standards become the very standard of God Almighty. God expects you and me as His children, just as I'm sure you do, to become a willing member of His family. Listen, it's not a legalistic conformity. It is a willing one. Nobody can make you do this. Nobody. Nobody can make you walk like Christ. I can preach and preach and preach and, 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 and be as passionate as I could possibly be, but I cannot make, when you and I walk out of here, I can't make you and me be the person of God that, that God wants us to be. That has to be a, a decision that we must make. Choose for yourself. Paul said as much in Philippians. Don't turn there because it's going to be real quick. But you can, please. Philippians 1.27. But I'm going to start reading it right away because I want to get through all of this. It says, he says, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that, Paul writes, whether I come and see you or I remain abstinent, I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Our striving together for the faith of the gospel is a plea. A plea for the church to be united in one purpose. So in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul again says to us, I am a prisoner, a prisoner of the Lord. And then he says, I entreat you, verse 1 of Ephesians 4, I entreat you. In other words, he's saying, I'm begging, I am pleading with you because he can't make you and me do this. I want you to walk, he says, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul gently reminds us, he's not asking you and me to do anything that he isn't willing to do himself. As he again calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. He wants you and me to know that his commitment to Jesus Christ is just as strong as when he was free as, as he is in jail. Just like that man who was born blind. Should the works of God be done in his life just because he could see? Or should it be done just because we want to represent the Lord no matter what? No matter how? No matter what our shortcomings might be. God can strengthen those shortcomings. 
He can take our weaknesses. I am a prime example. He can take our weaknesses and make them strength. If we'll just let him. And so Paul has said that my confidence isn't in my circumstances. My confidence is in who I am in Christ. By the way, I misspoke, I think, a couple weeks ago when I said that Paul became a prisoner, not in Rome, not under Caesar. No, the truth of the matter is, Paul became a prisoner of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. It's when he made his decision to walk with God the rest of his life, regardless of his circumstances. If it's just you and me, the rest of my life, that's enough. Paul became divinely imprisoned by Jesus Christ at that moment forever on. How about us? Have we allowed ourselves to become a prisoner of our Lord and Savior? Only you can make yourself a bond servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, a prisoner for his sake. Your call, not mine. So in verse 1, Paul entreats us. In other words, he pleads with us. He begs with us. Walk. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Interesting, the word walk refers to a daily lifestyle. Wherever we are, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling us. It was really interesting Tonight, I'm going to go and uh, back to my hometown in San Pedro. One of my dear friends who pretty much took me under his wing when he was a young guy and I was a young guy in high school. And they're being, he's being honored. He's a real typical San Pedroan. He's already been in jail. Yeah, he's passed all of that stuff, you know. He's come out of that and he's doing great and they're going to give him a, a plaque on the, on the sidewalk like they did me a few years back. And they asked me to be there to honor him, and I, I want to be. And they said, come tonight. And they said this on the phone. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. So we're going to have um, you know, a cocktail hour at 4 o'clock. Come as early as you want, but we already know you're not going to drink. Who told them I wasn't going to drink? I'm not. Has my reputation gone that I am a believer? It has. But they said, we still want you there. We still want you to enjoy that moment with us. And I thought, hey, that's pretty nice. They understand what I stand for, and yet they still accept me. I felt real good about that. Wherever we are, we have been called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so Paul shares in verses 2 and 3 about five or six different characteristics of this walk. We, please forgive me, we will not be able to get through them all. Not today, we will, but just not this morning. But he says in verses 2 and 3, I want you to walk with, note verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, 
being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's start with humility. I know something very interesting about the word humility. Maybe you don't know, maybe you do. I didn't. In the Greek language and in the Roman language, there was absolutely no word that would translate humility. That attitude was foreign to them. It was seen as weakness. So there was real no word for being humble. The idea of humility to the Greek people and to the Romans was distasteful because they built their society upon self-worth and self-pride. I say this in no disrespect, but I say it nonetheless. I have long felt that Muhammad Ali, whom I don't know, and I have no right to say anything for or against, but I'm going to make this statement. I thought he did some of the greatest damage to our society that has ever been done. And what it was, was he presented a philosophy that became a standard by many. And that philosophy was, I am what? I'm the greatest. Now, I think he was doing that for one reason or another, perhaps to draw a crowd so that he would get a bigger paycheck at his, at his fights. I don't know. But it permeated our society. I was playing sports at that time. I was watching guys get their whole attitude changed. All of a sudden, it wasn't uh, score a touchdown and, 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 and drop the ball. And, 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 and all of a sudden, it was score a touchdown. And I am the greatest. And I watched teams fall apart. I watched that attitude permeate our society in which we live. All of a sudden, people were calling themselves prime time. What? Within our faith as believers in Jesus Christ, a person cannot begin to please God apart from being a humble man or woman. Humility is the very core. It is the foundation upon which our whole Christian faith is laid. Our prime example is, well, turn to the right. Look at Philippians chapter 2 for just a moment. It's just to the right, a couple of pages. After Ephesians comes Philippians, of course. And look at chapter 2. Our, our prime example is none other, than, none other than Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 5, Have this attitude, this attitude in yourself, which also is in Jesus Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather, it says in verse 7, he emptied himself. He took the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, he, found, he was found in appearance as a man and he humbled, he humbled, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Folks, I want you to know something. Humility is a very difficult aptitude, attribute to grasp because the moment you sense you've obtained it, you just lost it. It's not, it's not something you can really grab onto until you... Look at it perhaps through the eyes of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said it the best. In John chapter 3, verse 30, you know the verse. He says, he, talking about Jesus Christ, must, what? Increase, and I must, what? Decrease. That's it. In a nutshell, that's humility. 
Allowing the Lord's life to increase in and through whatever and whoever you are and allowing yourself to decrease. Allowing Him to get the praise. And for you not to. Oh, the Lord says to you and me, if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt us at the proper time. Not our timing, but His. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that He might exalt you at that proper time. Allow Him to increase in your life and allow yourself to diminish little by little by little. This statement by John the Baptist is the very core of our faith. After humility comes the word gentleness. This attribute is a byproduct of humility. You and I cannot really uh, possess true gentleness or meekness. It also could be translated without humility. Now the dictionary defines gentleness as timid or a lack of courage. That is so far from the biblical meaning of gentleness. It's not even close. The biblical meaning of gentleness given in the Greek language for the word gentle or meek, the word is P-R-A-O-T-E-S. It refers to one who is mild-spirited or self-controlled. Jesus said of gentleness in the Beatitudes, talking about the believers, Blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. And of himself, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 11, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. The Greek word for gentle is P-R-A-O-T-E-S, as I've already said to you, and it's used to describe a wild animal which has been tamed. Most often it refers to wild horses, horses that have been broken and trained so that they might be ridden. Hmm. I can remember that as vividly as anything I ever thought of when I saw it happen, my, my wife took my daughter when she was just a little girl. I, I wish I could remember exactly her age. I forgot to ask Kay. I was going to ask her last night and I forgot. But Cassie was just a little thing. Tough though. Tough little girl. Strong, really. And she would ride horses. And Kay, would, they would go riding here in some of this area, here in, in Yorba Linda area. We got invited by a some dear family who loves us very much and we love them very much and they, they took us to a, a vacation to a dude ranch in Montana. Oh yeah, it was awesome, man. It was really awesome. <laughs> the first day I fell off the horse and broke a couple of my ribs and I, I had the, really, you know, it sounds bad but it was, it was one of the best vacations I've ever had because when they all went out riding I sat back and overlooked this mountain range, studied my Bible. It was like, um, it was paradise for me. Nobody was around. Nice. Anyways, when we got there, the horses were not anything like the horses here. They were like, they were horses. They were big, meaty horses, boy. And my, they, we started picking our horses, you know, and, and there was, they all, the horses all lived out on the range. They, they ate the grass or whatever they do. And, and, and they were just, they were big and tough. 
And they brought him in, and, and, and so they said, Cassie, here's a good horse for you. And I'm telling you, this horse was, this was no little skinny. This horse was horse. And she grabbed his reins, and she started pulling. And I'm thinking, this is, this, is, this is incredible. This horse has the very essence of gentle meekness. Letting this little girl pull her around like, he, like she owned him. She jumped on that horse and they went riding off. And I thought, my gosh, my gosh. That's the very essence of what our Lord speaks about when he talks about gentleness. It is power under control, even the control of a little girl. This horse did just what, just what she asked him to do. It's unbelievable. Our Lord although he had all the access to all the power on this earth and in the heavens above, he chose not to use these powers. Rather, our Lord decided to fall under the will of the Father, choosing to, to go to the cross ultimately and to die for our sin. A person who is humble understands that that Jesus Christ's life must increase as our life decreases moment by moment, day by day. We'll humble ourselves under His mighty hand and if He so desires, He'll exalt us at the proper time. A person who wants to walk with the Lord wants to walk in gentleness, meekness. In other words, power, under control. By no means, folks, are you and I wimps as believers in Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege of working in ministry where I've seen very, very strong, very powerful men who are so gentle. On the field of sports, they are just like a... <laughs> I don't know for lack of word, but like animals, really. I remember Rich Saul, who played center with the Rams, came back to a Bible study. We had all bruised and bumped, and they were playing against, I forget which team. Let's just say it was Oakland. I don't remember exactly the team, but he was playing against one of the teams, and the guy that was playing middle guard right across from him was a believer in Jesus Christ. And First time he got underneath the center, and the quarterback was barking the signals, and he snapped on the ball. This guy just knocked Saul head over heel into the backfield, after the play was over, he picked him up and said, Hey, we're going to have fun. <laughs> Power under control. Off the field, that guy was as gentle as could be on the field. He was going to knock his head off if he could. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not to be wimps. But we're to have power, but our power is to be under control. We're to live and to function under the strength and the power of our God who will strengthen and power us at the proper time. Humility is the very core of who we are. Gentleness, power under control. It's the very essence of our walk with Jesus Christ. Paul's going to tell us so much more in the weeks to come. You, you won't want to miss any of these attributes. You just won't. And you're going to find out that you're much, much closer to them than you perhaps even think. The very essence of your life and my life, I believe, though, is uttered 
by Joshua, who he says, look, if it's disagreeable in your sight, why don't you choose who you're going to serve? I think it would do you and me very well to try to make a very conscious decision who will we follow regardless of our circumstances. Joshua said it. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Father, may we have the strength and the courage to do the things that you have called us to do. And Father, the truth of that matter is we do have the strength, we do have the courage, but it's wrapped up in our belief and trust in you. As Paul prayed for us, that we'd be strengthened in our innermost being. It doesn't come just because we're strong. It comes from people who are strengthened from within. And so, Father, bless us, please. Let us be a people that that represent you the best we know how. Let us walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. Children of the Most High God. Father, thank you for everyone here. Bless them, all of us. Care for us, Father, all of us. And Father, may I say to you, I love these people. I thank you for each one. Thank you so much for them, Father. I love them with all my heart. I pray, Father, that you would even give me more love for each person. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you guys more than I can tell you. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you next week. You just won't want to miss this part of Scripture.